0: We come to the 16th chapter of Mark, and we have to do it. Get ready for it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, thank you. He is risen indeed. He is. And this is what Mark has been leading up to the whole book here. How big is eternity? How much is infinity? What is the value of infinity? Let's bring it a little close. If I offered you an infinite amount of money, what would the limitation be in your life? Character. Character. Okay, you don't have infinite character. You would then have an infinite number of friends, but the limitation is you don't have infinite time. The value of the resurrection is infinite value for infinite time. God has offered us a gift and has paid for this gift of infinite value and he describes for us in Ephesians 2 picking up in verse 4 but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, God offers to us, an infinite amount of riches that He gives to us, He's promised for us an infinite amount of time to enjoy the riches He freely gives us. Money is so petty in God's eyes that He's paving His streets with gold. That is so petty. God is rich in mercy, He is rich in grace, He's rich in His love towards us, and He offers His infinite gift by request to all who call on his name. Romans 10.9 If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus 3. The value of the resurrection cannot be overstated. Because it has infinite value, and our salvation extends forever and ever for an infinite amount of time the value of this and as we approach this it's just hard to approach this because I know I'm going to fail I don't understand it we don't understand it but it's of infinite value for infinite time and as we come near the end of the gospel of Mark the words that Jesus spoke in chapter 1 ring so true the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel I'm going to title this Christ is Risen. So let's start with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father as we look at the resurrection of Jesus and what price was paid for our salvation the riches that you so freely give for your own glory grant us that we would see you high and lifted up. May Jesus be praised. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that you died for our sins. And grant us The gratitude to understand what you have done for us. In Christ's name, amen. So we're in the book of Mark chapter 16. And I'm going to start with the first four verses. And we're going to look at these verses. And I'm going to call them the unexpected resurrection. So picking up in verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. So when the Sabbath was passed, on Sunday morning, we come to the three ladies of unashamed devotion to our Lord with their great example of loyalty and faithfulness. And you remember from last week, there were only three hours from Jesus' death to the beginning of the Sabbath, and that was a limited time to put his body in the tomb. So it was done hastily, and now they're going back with additional spices to anoint his body for a proper burial. They started early, maybe to get there before any turmoil that day. You remember, Jesus was murdered right before the Sabbath, and now nobody knows what's next this day. The disciples may be next for all they know. And during the Sabbath, as our Lord laid in the grave, he had a Sabbath rest. And the disciples spent it with tears and fears. And as they traveled to the tomb, they discussed the details that are waiting for them, which Kent described for us last week, namely a large stone. And history tells us the way the stone was probably about 2,000 pounds or more, which would be difficult for three ladies to roll. But the time that they feared really that the item that they feared really didn't matter because as they discover when they arrive, the stone has already been rolled away. And the first thing that Mark wants us to know about the resurrection is that the followers of Jesus did not expect a resurrection. And the first witnesses are women, and he's telling us the story as it happens, and this reads like an eyewitness account. Mark is not writing a spectacular story But he's writing about a spectacularly true event. If the disciples really believed that the resurrection was going to happen, what would they do? If you were a disciple, you really thought this was going to happen, three days, what would you do? Let's go camp out by that tomb and see what happens. I want to see him come back to life. No, they didn't. They, in fact, did not believe this was going to happen. Because they were bringing their burial spices this can't happen so we come now to verses 5 through 7 and I'm going to call these the fact of the resurrection so let's pick up in verse 5 and entering into the sepulcher they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment and they were affrightened and he said to them be not affrightened ye seek Jesus of Nazareth which was crucified he is risen he is not here behold the place where they laid him But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. So when the women arrive, the body of Jesus is not present, but they see a young man sitting in the tomb in a long white garment, an angel, and he was talking to them. They were expecting a dead person laying in the tomb. They found a living person sitting up and talking with them. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He is risen. He is alive. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? But that's not what they were doing. They were there looking for a dead person among the dead. They brought the spices to anoint the dead person that they left there on Friday. They were not expecting to find a risen living Christ that no longer needed burial spices. He was dead. He is now alive. He's not here. Mark does not quote from the prophecies of the Old Testament. There's no presentation of the teaching given by the angel. This description of the resurrection reads like an eyewitness account. This is what happened. And there's no presentation of the theological significance of the resurrection. The greatest event in history is presented so simply as a factual event. You seek Jesus of Nazareth he was, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. The angel gives him the facts. In a very straightforward way. And then he gives them. A very straightforward assignment. You need to go tell the disciples. And also Peter. That he will meet you in Galilee. And there he, you will see him. Just as he told you. This is a story about a body, a very dead body, that God brought back to life in a glorified body. And this sequence that we've seen is presented many times in scriptures. The death, burial, resurrection, and appearance of Jesus. That sequence. Read a couple verses out of 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 3. For Paul writes, For I delivered you... First of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. To proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection, and then appearance, is the clear presentation of what Jesus taught. Jesus said he was going to die for our sins, be buried, rise from the dead, and that is what happened. Throughout the book of Mark the author has been moving towards this concluding event. So let's go back. We're near the end of Mark. Let's go back and do a short review. First, Jesus taught and prophesied and proclaimed his coming death and resurrection from the dead. So look at Mark 8. We'll read a couple verses in Mark 8. Picking up in verse 27. Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, and some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said unto them, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no no man of him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, And after three days rise again. Very clear teaching of Jesus. Turn over to chapter 10 verse 32. And they were on their way up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed they were afraid. And he took the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto them. you got the picture. He's going to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and to the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and they shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Just so matter-of-factly Jesus predicted all this. And the angel reminds them of what Jesus told them in Mark fourteen twenty seven, and Jesus said to them, "All of you will be offended to offended because of me this night, as it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered." Listen to this. I, I'm just blown away by what Jesus says here. After I am risen, I will go before you to Galilee. That is incredible. I will die, you'll be scattered. After I'm risen, come meet me in Galilee. After I rise from the dead, let's go meet up in Galilee. That is an an incredible thing that only God could do. And secondly, Jesus demonstrated that he had power over death. Look at the story of Jairus in uh, Mark chapter 5. Verse 22, when he saw Jesus, Jairus did, he fell at his feet and besought him. My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him. Jump down to verse 35. While he yet spake, there came a ruler from the synagogue's house, which said, thy daughter is dead. Why do you trouble the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard this, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And as he was coming, he said, why make ye this ado and weep? The little girl, the damsel, is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them out... He takes the father and mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying, took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, "Dalitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. For she was of the age of 12 years and they were astonished with the great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. The daughter of Jairus was raised from the dead Demonstrating the power that Jesus had over death. But that was a limited demonstration because when she raised back to life, it was in the same body, not a glorified body as Jesus had. And then she went on to face death again. The resurrection of Jesus is so much greater as Jesus declares he is the resurrection and the life. He was dead and he rose in a glorified body that is alive forevermore. The bones of Jesus are not here on this earth. The glorified bones of Jesus are right now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And the charge was given to these ladies by the angel. Behold, look at the place. He is not here. Followed by, go and tell. And this is the same charge we have. Behold the empty tomb and then go and tell. Tell the story clearly, tell it boldly, and tell it often. Our charge is to proclaim that Jesus is risen from the grave, from the the dead. And he is the only hope that God has given to us in this life. The resurrection, it's incomparable, it's indispensable, and it needs to be told. Now let's move to verse 8. And I'm going to call this the response to the resurrection. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. There are a few key words in this book of Mark that are repeated over and over again, many times. As people were eyewitnesses to the teaching and miracles of Jesus. And those two words are amazement and astonishment. Think through, I'll just read through a few instances that happened in Mark. And start in chapter 1, 22. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one of authority. He healed a man with an unclean spirit in chapter 1. And they were all amazed that he could do that. The crippled man was let down through a roof. They took the roof off, brought him down. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And they were amazed. Jairus' daughter, when she rose from the dead, they were astonished with a great astonishment. Chapter 6, when the Sabbath came, he taught them in the synagogue, and those that heard him were astonished at his teaching. When he walked on the sea and came into a ship, and the wind ceased, He came to the disciples. They knew he was God, and yet he walked. He did these things. In chapter six, the disciples were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. Jesus walked on this. He healed the deaf and dumb man. In chapter seven, the people, beyond measure, were astonished, saying, "He has done all things well." He was in Jerusalem and taught in the temple. In chapter eleven. They were astonished at his doctrine. And now in verse 8. These three ladies realize he is risen. And they trembled and were amazed. Of all the things in this world that get our attention. I hope it is our God that amazes and astonishes us. That our God would die for our sins. And be brought back to life. When we encounter our risen Lord. See his power and glory. The only response can be amazement and astonishment. Amazing love, how can it be that my God would die for me? There's an important detail that scripture brings out many, many times about this resurrection that we need to, I just want to give you a, a, a fact to hang your hat on. God reached down and brought him back to life. Jesus did not bring himself back to life. Jesus was dead. His body was there. He was dead. And God brought him back to life. As Peter put it in Acts 2.32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Many times, Scripture says, God raised Jesus back to life. And the Bible instructs us that death is not natural. But death is the penalty for sin. If there is no sin, then there is no death. The sting of death is from sin. The power of sin is in the law. And the law confronts us because none of us stand guiltless before the law. We look around us and we see all the evil that's in the earth and become disgusted and convince ourselves that we're going to try to do better to eliminate evil from our lives. And we strive to do our best. And then we discover that what we think are our good works are empty and hollow without the God of the universe. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives the victory, a victory that cannot be earned. It is given as a gift. The reward of sin is what we earn, which is death. The story of the gospel is not that if we try to do our best, maybe God will accept us because that can't be true. Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He has obeyed God's law perfectly. He's taken it upon himself, and then he died, was buried, rose back to life. The only way to deprive death of its terror is freedom from sin, and that is only found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The story of the resurrection would not be complete if I didn't read to you some verses out of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is the great chapter on the resurrection. Let's just read some of that as instruction. Let's pick up in uh, verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised up. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order." Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Pick up in verse 54 of the same chapter. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because of the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus, we also will live again. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then why are we gathered here today? But in fact, we are gathered here today because Christ is risen from the dead. He is the only reason we are here today. And his resurrection is our only hope for the future. As we read as Nathan read this morning in Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth. And the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Eternity is reality for us all. Evolution is an attempt to teach that there is nothing after death. But that is a lie. God tells us what will really happen. In Hebrews 9.27 God is appointed unto man once to die but after this the judgment. Second Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to the guilty which includes all of us Death should be and must be the ultimate terror. Death is the final fear. And the glorious news of someone who faced death, went into death, triumphed over death, and also made it possible for others to triumph over death, ought to make the headline news every day. And it ought to be told to a dying world every day. God has has become a man just like us to become one of us, in order to rescue us by his death, by embracing death, take it upon himself, he destroyed the fear of death by conquering sin, and can free all who are scared to death of death. Life is short. Life is limited. Life is uncertain for each of us. And if we act any other way, we're playing the part of the fool. The decisions we make in time will determine what happens to us forever. We are aware of life's brevity and uncertainty, but have we made preparations for our final appointment with God? Mark brings this last chapter to a conclusion that is very opposite to the way it started in chapter 1 with the story of a leper. In Mark chapter 1, a leper came to Jesus. Imploring him, kneeling to him, If I will, you can make me clean. He moved with pity, stretched out his hand, touched him and says, I will be clean. Immediately the leprosy left that man. And he was clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and set him away at once and said, See that you tell nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. And he went out. What did the leper do? He was healed. This great event. What did he do? He went out and began to talk freely and to spread the news. Jesus asked the leper to be quiet and he wouldn't do it. And now after the resurrection, they're told to tell others about it and they don't do it. The, rec- the resurrection requires a response. And the question is, we see what the first witnesses did. They said nothing for they were afraid. What do we do? What is our response to the resurrection? Will we respond like this leper who went and told everybody what Jesus had done? Are we willing to take up our cross and follow him? Mark has not made this easy for me. These first people were afraid to tell others, and what are we doing with the resurrection? What are we doing with the resurrected Jesus? Jesus. Mark is not writing a gospel that proves the resurrection on the day of resurrection. He's doing something much more personal. He's asking us if we are also going to do what these people did on that day. Run away and be quiet and say nothing. And also tell Peter, here is the man that denied our Lord publicly. 3 times. Do we see ourselves as failures? Here's a man who denied our Lord publicly. If God can use Peter, he can also use each of us for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. As Kent read this morning in communion out of Acts 17 about Paul when he went to the city and told the intellectuals of his day about the resurrection, the God who made the world and everything in it. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands In Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God has guaranteed a day for each of us to face judgment And that will happen because he raised Jesus from the dead. That is the guarantee. How did the people in Acts respond? In Acts 17, 32, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. And Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed. Some said, You are crazy, and laughed out loud. Some waited for another day, and a few believed. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What will we do with Jesus. Who God raised from the dead. So with that let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father thank you for our Savior. Who has given us a gift of infinite value. That we will enjoy forever and ever. Grant us gratitude. Grant us words to proclaim what you have done for us. May we take you and uh, take you to a lost and dying world. May we grow in gratitude for what you have done for us. In Christ's name, amen.